Starry, starry night Paint your palette blue and gray Look out on a summer's day With eyes that know the darkness in my soul Shadows on the hills Catch the trees and the daffodils Catch the breeze and the winter chills In colors on the snowy linen land Unless Hi, Terry. Want- <laughs> Hi, Aaron. <laughs> you look lovely when we couldn't hear a word you were right. saying. Right. The camera loves yeah. Terry. Yeah, it's like you do look good. It's like, you know, I mean, it's yeah. like painting <laughs> itself. You know. Okay. So... Oh. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Phil. <laughs> it's like Mona Lisa. <laughs> over yeah. the top, over the top. <laughs> so, um, go ahead. Um, welcome again to Yeah, Aha uh-huh with Lisa, Phil, and Aaron. Uh, this week, our guest is Mandy Tice. Okay. We should say that Mandy is the director of the School of Atelier Arts. Did I say that right? Uh, you're pretty close. Atelier. Atelier. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, I have no idea what that means, really. I've kind of peaked online, Look. but I still am unsure. Yeah. Well, you're not alone. It's actually a French word, and it means studio. And why are a bunch of Americans using this silly French word or, you know, funny to pronounce French word and it's because uh, at the turn of the last century a lot of Americans were sending artists to Paris to get the training so that they could have portrait painters uh, at a higher level back in the states so actually Cincinnati was one of the main cities sending painters to both um, Paris and in Munich to train these artists to be able to paint and draw realistically so they could come back and make portraits for the wealthy patrons in those cities yeah Wow. Okay. All right. That's good background. Mm-hmm. Also, the president of Da Vinci Initiative. Yes. Um, so I'm actually no longer involved with that organization, but it was one of my um, past lives where I was bringing this type of training to um, classrooms all over the country. I still do similar work with the School of Atelier Arts, which is the organization I now run. Okay. Okay. No. Uh, we're kind of interested in, of course, a little bit of background and maybe if you want to talk about it, how 2020 changed your direct, your your career trajectory. But because um, I know a lot of people are still interested in all that 2020 stuff. Sure. Uh, but what would you like to focus on? Um, so, you know, my passion is just sharing about this training, like I said, and that we discovered it early on. Um, It's not something that a lot of people are aware still exists. It's something that we think happened in the past and we don't necessarily know where to go today. Like if you want to be a professional portrait painter, where do you go to get your training today? So um, I would really like to share about how anybody can learn how to draw and paint at it that goes to places that have the skill set and that the places that have the skill set are kind of hard to find because they almost didn't survive the last century, but they still exist and you can go to them. Mm -hmm. Now you do some uh, some online, right? Yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah. So come to you for training online. Mm-hmm. So and, before 2020, huh? <laughs> yeah. So I was running an in-person studio, like many people were, you know, teaching these atelier skills. And then of course quarantine hit. And like many people, I was like, no, I can't teach how to paint online. It's going to be too hard. And, you know, if I can't be there and help the students mix the paint, how are they going to learn? But of course, uh, when you're forced to do something, you figure it out. And I've been pleasantly surprised to learn that my students are actually getting better faster online than they were in person because they're hearing all these other critiques of these other students. And they're actually avoiding mistakes that they might have otherwise made because of this online training and how it gives them more opportunities to, you know, listen in and learn from each other. That's interesting. You know, the video versus live teaching in live. Yeah. yeah. So I do a little bit of both. So I have pre-recorded lessons with like the stuff that I teach again and again and again. And, you know, Terry, as a educator yourself, I'm sure you teach Mm -hmm. the same lesson multiple times, you know, in a day. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, the core lessons for teaching people how to paint, like where does the paint go on your palette? You know, how do you mix with a palette knife? Those types of things, you know, are pre-recorded videos. But then twice a week, what I do is I have students show up together in a group call and we, you know, look at the paintings that they have in progress and we talk about some of the mistakes they're making and, you know, what things to avoid. And what I really love is, you know, sometimes a student will paint something like too dark in value and in the very same critique session, somebody's painting too light and then they can both see what those extremes are and, you know, really help them get it accurate. Right. Yeah, and I, I do appreciate the basics of like how to put paint on a palette. Yes. This is a paintbrush. <laughs> yes. Well, that's the thing is a lot of this knowledge got lost. And, you know, I, I'm sure Terry could speak to this. Uh, you know, we often in my experience, I'm a licensed art teacher. I've worked in 20 states with art teachers um, at their art education conferences, teaching skills to art teachers all over the country. And very few of them actually teach oil painting in the classroom because there's so much bad information out there and a lot of, you know, like fears that it's too expensive or it's not safe or these things. But it's actually just a lot of misinformation because we discontinued teaching this particular content. And, you know, it's not so scary and it's not so hard and there is a right and wrong way to do it. And it's much more accessible. And I start all of my teaching and all of my training at the very, very beginning because people come to me from all over the place. So, you know, some have been painting for years. Some just really, really have always wanted to paint. They became a doctor instead. And now they're like ready to like pursue their life's passion, which, you know, they really wanted to do from the start. And, but they know nothing about painting. And right. so I'm, I'm very careful in my instruction to make sure that, you know, everybody you know, meet people where they are, like, you know, and so, you know, being very specific about all the things. And, you know, even experienced painters, I've discovered, like, are holding their palette upside down, like, who knew there was a right and a wrong side to a palette. But uh, once you know the right side, then it's much more comfortable to hold a palette, right? So I try to be very, you know, thorough in the instructions and cover. Anytime I get asked a question multiple times, it gets covered in a little mini video lesson, you know, (laughs) like, we're gonna cover it. It it has always surprised me at the amount of uh, doctors that uh, that I've had as students. You know that uh, in the art classes after they've retired. Yeah, they're always old. doctors (laughs) surprised me. There's one other. uh, Oh, and beauticians. 
Mm-hmm. I had a wonderful class one time that were men and women doctors sprinkled in with a bunch of uh, beauticians, hairdressers. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very common. You know, it's funny because I was telling my dentist about what I did one time and he was like, oh, how do I sign up for an art class? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, but, you know, I think some people, they feel like they have to choose between a career that's going to pay well and being a poor, starving artist. But that's, mm-hmm. that's really an outmoded idea. Like a lot of the people that have atelier training and atelier skills, um, I have an acquaintance who is who works for NASA and paints portraits of astronauts. Like she works for NASA. Like, <laughs> you know, there's That's there's cool. so many careers like out there when you, you actually have them. a high level of technical skills. Yeah, yeah. something where you don't want to limit a person to a single path. Mm-hmm. Well, I was reading that millennials on average are going to have like three careers over the course of their life. Uh, I'm trying to remember where. <laughs> But, you know, yeah, it it tracks because the world's just changing so fast. And, you know, there's more opportunities and, you know, people are hearing, for example, today, people listening to your podcast are like, oh, you can be a portrait painter for a living. Maybe that's not something that, you know, it occurred to them before. Um, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I think that uh, the millennial attitude of not taking crap from (laughs) the boss, it's true. Oh, it's and, totally true. And a big part of that is they know they're not going to be in that job for 30 years. So why should they mm-hmm. bother to be miserable? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and unlike you know, us, it's <laughs> stuck it out. Yes. Well, yeah. I, I think about like the teaching profession, right? Uh, you know, it, it's unionized and I'm you know, appreciative that there's, you know, some things that the unions that I've been involved with have fought for. But also, when you're a first-year teacher, I made $20,000 at my first teaching job a year. I made more waitressing than I did teaching. And, you know, what happens is that as you go up the pay scale, like, the jumps become bigger and bigger. But you have to be in the profession for so many years before you can, like, afford to live off of, you know, a a teaching salary. And so I think uh, younger people are... Like, I'm not going to play that game. I'm going to make up my own business or I'm going to go be a portrait painter for NASA or whatever it may be. Um, You know, just kind of going around that. A quality server definitely makes more than, say, an office worker. (laughs) But I stayed in my job, which doesn't pay as much. So Mm -hmm. my IT professional husband could move up the ladder. Yes. I'm no dummy. I'm still on the bottom rung. I way. bought him cheap, <laughs> and now I'm not going to sell him high. <laughs> I like that attitude. But we, yeah, I mean, so they're like almost all uh, retirement homes do mm-hmm. art shows, right? I mean, yes, many of them I, do. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people find this uh, this vocation or this uh, hobby later in life. Mm-hmm. What's the legend? Sure. Of Grandma yeah. Moses. You know, how yeah, a profession that's safe from being taken over by AI, also. Uh, right. Maybe. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that I worry about because uh, your strokes are too thick. <laughs> 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 no, they're, they're doing the paintings. Bleep, bloop. For, and those, then- for those just now joining us, uh, we are talking about art, people. Stop the dirty mind. <laughs> well you know i think yes i i think it's similar to when you know there was this big panic over photography at the turn of the last century right like is it going to make artists obsolete 
But the same is true with AI as was true with photography, like crap in, crap out, right? And AI is only as good yeah, the as cream, the source material. The cream rises to the top. <laughs> it also forces, I think art is, uh, in my mind, it's due for another door to get knocked down and opened up as far as the actual artist doing, you know, to stay ahead of AI and mm -hmm. to find a a new, um, oh, uh, what would be the right way? The cliche is like the, in, new, you know, the impression. New outlet, a new channel. Yeah. What's that? A new outlet or a new channel? Uh, a new door that opens up you know mm -hmm. like during the impressionist era that's that's one everyone knows that all of a sudden there was a big intense study of light you know mm -hmm. whole movement and i mm -hmm. think we're we're due for another big movement that that's what kept uh art in front of the photography back then mm -hmm. or right. separated uh, separated the two and I think that's what's going to be needed to separate it from the AI movement of uh, artificial artificial art. Let's call it that. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Terry. You know, art. People think that art isn't related to scientific discovery, but it has always been intertwined with scientific discovery. And you know, impressionism was absolutely what Terry's saying. It was about light, but also what happened at the same time is cadmiums were invented. All of a sudden, we had pigments that were more intense than any pigment the artist had before. So instead of trying to recreate a scene by using, you know, if you're trying to paint a red flower and your paint isn't red enough, like you have to compromise, right? But all of a sudden painters had a pigment that could actually replicate what they were seeing at the same intensity level. And it changed, you know, the way painters were thinking about art and they were especially encouraged to follow that path while photography was stuck in black and white land, you know? Yeah. Um, didn't, didn't Da Vinci like uh, dissect corpses to figure oh, yes. out how better to draw <laughs> yeah. Yeah, muscular, so muscular. Yeah. Uh, it was illegal to dissect them and he would like pull them out yeah. of the river because for whatever reason, I guess there are bodies in rivers. Um, and yeah. uh, I definitely did that, but you know, they pile he, up, I guess. <laughs> as one does, as one pulls dead dead people out of the river. Need a body, huh? Now grab a sack. Let's go to the river. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, they were also artists would like bribe um individuals for access to bodies, especially of criminal bodies, you know, that were mm -hmm. not going to be looked after too closely. So that there were lots of ways, but there was definitely an intense interest in anatomy and, you know, a lot of, of what we understand about the internal workings of the human body that are essential to medicine came from artists like da Vinci. Yeah. Wasn't well, yeah. art, uh, I mean, the beauty of art comes in, in its perfection and the signature of the artist, right? I mean, that's going to be the final frontier for AI. I mean, it's going to have to be able <laughs> That that's where it's going to have to, to be able to create. It's going to have art, to jump that rather, rather than recreate yeah. art. Oh, I, I was saying that teaching painting would be tough for AI, but yeah, <laughs> making yeah. its yeah. own art—that's another. Yeah, that's the garbage that's in, garbage out again. Yeah, and well, and it matters how it's programmed too. You know, like people mm -hmm. think, uh, you know, they'll look at my artwork, like uh, this drawing behind me, or, and say, "Oh." That looks just like a photograph and you know they intend it as a compliment but it's actually a grave insult to an atelier trained yeah. artist yeah. um 
to be told that because a, a photograph sees something and it takes a three-dimensional world, which is massive amounts of information, and it translates it into something that's 2D. Uh, and it does that in a very specific mechanical way. But what atelier trained artists do is they're taking that same amount of information, but they're weeding out different parts of it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, they're emphasizing certain things. They're not just copying what they see the way a camera does. They uh, are like, OK, I want to have a great light effect on this side of the face, which means I'm going to purposely lighten beyond what I see, beyond what I observe to create this great like splash of light on that part of my face. And, you know, those are decisions that cameras can't necessarily make. Um, you know, photographers can, of course, edit, you know, in, in the darkroom, but that requires training and knowledge on their part, right, to create those same choices. And not only that, but once you're editing something that's already translated to 2D, you don't even know what information has been cut out, right? It's no longer a choice for you to make some of the choices that an artist makes when they're looking at a three-dimensional object and drawing and painting it. Yeah, I think they mean by the compliment that it looks so realistic. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. My understanding, portraiture is supposed to be at least somewhat realistic. Yeah. Well, you certainly want a likeness, but the likeness doesn't yeah. come from what people think it comes from. So, for example, if you ask if, someone... I mean, for example, if I drew a face, it wouldn't look as realistic as the face that you have drawn. Um, I mean, it could. It depends it, what your training it is. It could, but I mean, yeah. with, with no training I would argue or aptitude, it would not. <laughs> I, I could... I could bet you that within an hour, you could make a sketch that was representational of a specific human that you were trying to achieve with a portrait. And the reason for this is because a likeness of a portrait doesn't come because someone's eyes are blue or something, you know, like those are little details. Those are irrelevant. We can recognize our BFF all the way across the football field uh, before we ever see the color of their eyes. And the reason for that is that your brow ridge casts a shadow on your eyes, your nose casts a shadow on your face, and your lips cast two shadows on your face. And it's the pattern of those darks against the light that create a likeness. The most important thing about getting a likeness in a portrait is the relationship of those things to each other. And if you just made a scribble for the eyes, a scribble underneath the nose, and two scribbles for the lips, and they were in the right relationship to each other, you could get a likeness of my face with scribbles. Interesting. Let's do that. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Get your pens um, out. Every, like, I do enjoy I it. Um, it. At Disney's my, California my Adventure, they have uh, early. <laughs> they have little like fifteen minute classes where they teach you to draw a character. You know, I somebody's up leading the class, and you know, you mm -hmm. usually start with a circle and <laughs> yeah, build well, out. You know, I there. think that. The biggest crime of the last century was that, you know, modern art, you know, became really focused on do what you feel and be creative. And ooh, and it, it's not that I don't believe in those things. I do believe in creativity and emotional expression. Um, but it created this disconnect that, oh, you either have art or you don't. You either get bopped on the head by a talent fairy or you'll never have it. And art, technical art, technical art, like a realistic drawing is absolutely a learned skill. Anybody can learn it just like people learn how to read. It's just that they don't necessarily have access to that information. It's not broadly available. Yeah. Mm -hmm. there, there's one last thing I want to say about, or think about AI, and that's, mm -hmm. isn't there something psychological about the idea that the piece that you're looking at on the other side of that piece is a person, is an individual <laughs> who's had a life experience, who may have a physical debility that affects their ability, you know, that, that, that alters their work. A person, a person real or imagined, right? 
And if you don't know, real or imagined, if you if you know that it was produced artificially, that would take the soul right out of the, you know, that, yeah. that that's something that'll never be able to be usurped, I don't think. And you can de you can decipher that the absence of that uh, soul when you look at a piece of AI art. It's lacking something. It's right. Um, right now it messes up fingers famously, right? How does it? Oh, oh, yeah. I have seen that. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, you know how we said, like, crap in, crap out? Rembrandt can draw hands to save his life, right? And what are mm -hmm. they drawing on to create this AI image paintings and drawings? Like, I hope it's not Rembrandt's hands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. He'll be dropping his coffee all the time or whatever. <laughs> um, I, Han, grab your sister's picture. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, no. uh, we brought out some of the family art. Um, no. This is the piece that Terry sent to Philip as a gift. I love this. Uh, um, so it's a mixed media. It's, uh, I believe, am I right? It's oil painting and then like, uh, like, like cloth. I, I better describe it. <laughs> it Much better. It's oil paint on sanded silk. You take, I take oh. silk and apply it with gesso to the canvas and then ooch it around, let that dry, and mm -hmm. then do ooch. my sketch on top of, of the wrinkles that form in it, and then do my painting on top of that. So it's like oh, the big cool. thing. Yeah, I just, well, I haven't been doing many of those lately. I went through a spell where I explored that whole style for about a year, and... Mm -hmm. I think it ran its course in my uh, <laughs> in my patience. Yes. <laughs> I'm over that. Now let's find something else, some other way to work. I feel you. I was like really into pastels for a year, and then I haven't touched them since. <laughs> I just got over it. Isn't that funny? It's funny how that works. I did pastels for a while when my uh, daughter was, when she was first born and toddling around mm -hmm. because I could slide the whole tray up on top of the refrigerator uh, and, yes. and pull it right back down and go back to work and keep her out of the yes. toxic chemicals and the paint and out of yeah. my stuff. <laughs> yeah. I have a friend that switched to pastels because her cat loved to walk on her palette. And <laughs> she's like, oh, I just yeah. can't paint with oils <laughs> at my house. <laughs> kind of the same scenario. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kids, cats, same thing. <laughs> I woke up one morning and uh the cat had knocked over a can of house paint down in the basement Oof. and there was cat tracks all the way up the steps. <laughs> all over the house. Yeah. But, uh, classic, classic. So you ever feel like you're living in a cartoon? Oh yeah. yeah you gotta leave those, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um speaking of me, you mentioned oil. Do you basically you need to talk him into leaving the prints, but <laughs> do you mostly do uh, work with oils or do you do watercolors, mixed media type stuff? Yeah, or? uh primarily oil. Actually, um there's a drawing behind me here and it's kind of a fun story. It's a uh, for those of you who are listening at home, um, it's a drawing of a plaster cast of um a sculpture that's fairly well known called the Nubian Man. And um my students, I was teaching them and I was in this drawing workshop. 
And they just kept obsessing. They're like, do I have the right pencil, Mandy? Do I have the right pencil? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. They're like, but, but what about this pencil, Mandy? And I'm like, would you stop it? It doesn't matter. What matters is how well your eye is trained. You can draw with a crayon if you want to. And of course she turned around to me and said, prove it. <laughs> and so this drawing behind me is actually a crayon drawing. I did that entirely with Crayola crayons. I mean, to be fair, like a awesome. hundred Crayola crayons because it took a lot of a time to do it. But if you look on my Instagram at Mandy Fine Artist, you can see a detail of this drawing um, and you can see that it's actually done with crayons. So cool. um, I, I don't get like too hung up on media. I don't think it's about the media. It's about how much time and training you put into your eye and how well you can see because someone that can see more than you can actually teach you to see colors you've never seen before and teach you to see like nuance of detail you've never seen before. It can teach you to see shape you've never seen before. It's pretty incredible like what atelier training can do for your eyes. Now, I, I, I kind of do kind of get what they were saying. It's not so much is this the right pencil, but the quality, you know? Yeah. Because like you say, I mean, Crayola crayon. Mm-hmm. I yes. use generic crayon. It is not the same. I I agree with you. But uh, even if you have the crappy crayon that has like all wax and almost no pigment in it, um, it may uh, shorten the range of values that you can get. You're not going to be able to get as black, you know, on your drawing with a low grade crayon. But if you know what you're doing and if you have a lot of control of your materials and your eye is trained well, then you'll create what's called a high key drawing so yeah the darks won't be that dark but the image will still read clean even with a crappy crayon yeah we're speaking with mandy thighs 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 it's that german pronunciation gets people every time thighs and we're talking about atelier arts and just art in general we're having a good time here so um i was wondering uh you have certain techniques. Stumbling over a German name and a French word. <laughs> We're just going to throw in all the European stuff. Welcome, welcome to Cincinnati. I have enough trouble with English. You know? uh, I love it. You do fine. You, you have, I saw, we saw a couple of YouTubes, you know, in the short mm -hmm. time we had to prepare for this. And, and you had some techniques that you used. We watched one where you used a box to get the dimensions of a, of a, rose. Of a still life you know, mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. and everything like that. So um, what are some of uh, your students are K to K to 12, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, uh, I have taught kindergarten through 12th grade in the public school system. I currently now teach teens and adults in um, my online studio. Uh, I don't yeah. teach in the public school system currently. Um, but, uh, you know, anybody like if you ask a if you ask anybody, like kids love drawing, even little kids, and they can learn so much about drawing realistically with just a tiny bit of guidance. So, you know, something I would do with my kindergartners is, you know, I'd ask them, okay, draw an apple to the best of your ability, right? And they'd all draw usually like a ball with like a stick on top, right? And then I'd be like, okay, we're going to try to draw this apple. And I'd hold an apple out in front of them. And I'd ask them, is this apple taller or wider? And, you know, I try to pick a really obvious example, you know, so it was either super tall or super wide. And they would tell me taller. And I'll be like, okay, now draw an apple that's taller than it is wide. And so they'd still be drawing their circles with their sticks, but this time they'd be thinking about the proportion, right? And so you can guide them step by step like that to practice seeing and practice their observational skills in a way um, that they're very capable of learning and very capable of doing. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, uh, who are some of your favorite, like inspirations? Are there any contemporary artists or, or, or mm-hmm. you know, artists oh, that, that, that really serve as an inspiration to you? Certainly. Um, so Julia Aristides is an artist that I trained with in Seattle, Washington, and she has some of the best books out on atelier training. So if it's something you're curious about or if this is resonating with you, I strongly encourage um, to look her up. So I'm you obviously spelling your last friend. name. Um, yeah, it's A-R-I-S-T Aris. <laughs> I have to think about it in my head. <laughs> Let me type it out and then I'll, I'll say it. I can't think. That many. All right, Aristides. so it's A R I S I T I D E S Aristides. Um, so that's Julia Aristides. Um, also, Sadie Valeri is an amazing, um, incredible realist artist. Ricky Mujica, um, you know, he trained with Max Ginsburg in the New York City School. He's an amazing portraitist. You'll actually see a lot of his work in movies. Um, I, I don't remember the name of it, but it was like some horror film that just came out, and there was a backstory where the kid was an artist, and my friend Ricky did all the. <laughs> all the paintings for the background for it. Um, So again, there's careers with Atelier training, right? There's a lot of them out there. He paints paintings for horror movies. That's a job that he does. That's a real job. The eyeballs follow you as you go across the room. Yeah, I I don't know the details. I personally, if I watch a horror movie, I'll have nightmares for years. I've only ever seen one when I was 17 and I still have nightmares from it. So I just can't, I can't look. The Exorcist. Oh, that's, oh yeah that's a that'll one. do it to you that'll yeah not only was it the exorcist but i was living in georgetown at the time because we had moved when i was in high school to um the dc area which in the house that it supposedly happened in because it was based on a real story and they were doing a special screening when they re-released it in this house and my friends were like uh-huh. do you want to go see this movie and i knew nothing about it and then i saw this awful like terrifying movie in the yeah. house that it supposedly happened and and i just well, have not gotten over it well, <laughs> yeah, well that's a that's a special codicil that's special circumstances <laughs> yeah. you know that's i like, mean it's... had you seen it in like the theater uh, yeah well, well i mean they did put but... a big screen in the it was house, a big screen but, but not in yeah yeah, yeah well, next, but... next i'm not a fan of horror movie. films either really I like, I love them. I mean, but I'm trying constantly trying to find one that'll scare me. I'm never scared yeah. by any of them. You're just, I'm just go, always so go dumb. Go watch The Exorcist in DC. Well, I've seen The Exorcist. <laughs> and I was going to say the neighbor, Terry knows our neighbor, the Hoffmans, one of the one of the women, I guess the mom or somebody told me a, uh-huh. a ghost story about it and how, you know, really built up my expectations for it. So that when I saw mm-hmm. it, I was already, you know, with the credits right. started, I was already like out of my seat, you know. Oh, yeah. When when I saw The Exorcist, I will say it was on uh, Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon TV. Oh, not (laughs) the same impact. Not as scary on a Saturday afternoon. (laughs) Oh, I kind of was exposed to some horror before that. So it wasn't like, you know, the beginning for me. Terry just did a a horror movie marathon a couple weekends ago with her. With your with the grandkids, yeah. the grandkids. <laughs> it was was it Halloween night? No, yeah. it was Halloween weekend before mm-hmm. weekend before Halloween, and yeah. Yeah, we just camped out and marathoned on all those old ones like <laughs> Fright, you know, Jason and uh, I can't even oh. remember them all. Your grandkids are way braver than I am. <laughs> Way right now, the, the older one is 16, and is Cash 13 yet? Yeah, he's 13. 
So they're they're kind of older. I think, the, I think the brave people are the ones raising two teenagers. <laughs> I have a ghost in my lava lamp tonight. It keeps turning oh. itself on and off. Up in the oh, corner. well, I mean, that seems like a friendly ghost, like if they're into lava lamps. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the yeah. sort of mayhem like, your ghost is into. Keeps turning it off, though. Yeah. yeah, until your house starts burning down. And yeah. short and <laughs> well, but, you know, I, Go ahead, Terry. Oh, I, I was just going to say that I think maybe the reason horror movies are so challenging for me is because I'm just such a visually trained and oriented person, right? And like my dreams are so vivid. And so when I have these nightmares about these, like they feel so real to me, you know, and I think it just makes it challenging. Right. Yeah. Well, now tonight I don't remember my dreams, so that might help. <laughs> There's not a lot of good horror. I mean, I, I really like good suspenseful horror movies. You know, like uh, Alfred Hitchcock and uh, that one. That's going way back, but but anyway, um, I was wondering. You so you lived in Dayton. I did. I grew up there. A great, you know, it's a great town. It's it's, mm -hmm. it's a great town, but it's not considered like an art mecca. I mean, so now you find yourself in New York, which well, like musically it is. is. Yeah. Is well, that, you yeah? know, I have to say the Dayton Art Institute is amazing. It has such good art in there. And a lot of the Midwestern cities, Cincinnati does. Um, Cincinnati has an amazing Duvenet collection. Um, you know, there's a lot of great art in the Midwest because they had all the money when Europe was poor. And they bought all these old masterworks from like the bankrupted people in Europe after World War II at a time when there was a lot of money in the Midwest. And so the Midwest museums have incredible art collections, like even the smaller cities. The Dayton Art Institute has an incredible art collection. Um, and in fact, I have to credit the Dayton Art Institute for my career as an artist because we went uh, as a field trip there when I was in second grade. And I saw this Italian painting at the time and I didn't know that it was possible. It was like, it was like being told you could be an astronaut, right? Like people actually can paint like this. It was something that I'd always wanted and my heart had always wanted, but I had never seen a real painting before, you know? And as, like I asked the curator so many questions because I didn't believe that a person painted it, right? I just, I thought it was like a TV or something. And like, you mean there was paint there and the person painted it and Ever since then, I wanted to be able to paint like that, like my whole life. But what kind of happened is, you know, I kept trying to paint like that, but the teachers I had didn't have those skills. So I was as much as I worked at art and I did all these projects in art, like I wasn't getting closer to that ideal I had had in my head. And at some point I thought that I just didn't have it, that like, you know, I wasn't born with it or something. Um, and so when I discovered in my 20s that atelier training actually existed and that you could paint like that, you just have to go to this magical Hogwarts school called an atelier. And if you just work really hard, you can learn to draw and paint at the same level as these old masters. I, it was like being told I was 25. And yes, you can be an astronaut and you can, you know, whatever your childhood dream is. Um, so, you know, Dayton holds a really special place in my heart. I love the Dayton Arts Institute. I think it's one of the most beautiful museums of all the museums. I think it's more beautiful than the Met. And you can tell any New Yorker I said that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, strong words. Mm -hmm. yeah. Them fighting words in New York. Do we still have a New Yorker? <laughs> a New Yorker. In our, in our social, you know. Well, I mean, yeah. most New Yorkers are transplants, though, right? At least ones in like Manhattan and stuff. But not uh, that's well. I'm I'm taking that mostly. 
percentage of transplant than in other cities i'm yeah. sure right right that's that's a broad statement mm -hmm. um, cincinnati yeah. has some good art uh outlet yeah. you know you got the taft mm -hmm. museum Mm -hmm. um the contemporary the art museum, center right the cincinnati art museum yeah there used to be a ton of galleries downtown also that were really nice mm -hmm. and back in i don't know if they're still there or as many of them but there aren't was, as many but they still exist we mm -hmm. launched on to them in uh high school in our high school days when we were too young to get in bars we scoured the newspapers for art openings down in the downtown <laughs> galleries. For the classic. Yeah, that we were classic. down there for the wine and hanging out, you know, and right. that was fun. Yeah, I mean, there cool. was a time, oh, that, and that's really smart. Yeah. I wish I, I wish I'd hung out with more art people. Not that I like wine, but that's beside. <laughs> there was a time in my atelier training, you know. Because I left my teaching career to get the atelier training at the time that, that you had to like move across the country, you, you know, in this case, I moved to Seattle to train full time in an atelier and I give up my job. I was back waitressing again and, you know, paying, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars out of pocket for tuition because there's no student loans for this type of training. And there were quite a few art openings where there were doggy bags. Costs a lot to live in Seattle too. <laughs> Plastic oh, wine yeah. purses. <laughs> <laughs> Did you go yeah. from Dayton to Seattle? It'd be like it'd be like the eighty-year-old woman with the big purse, and then the twenty-something student with the big purse, yeah. and you'd both yes, be going for the shrimp. It'd be a knockdown, <laughs> yeah. drag out. Yeah. So uh, back to where all the places I've lived. So I kind of had a meandering life since I left Ohio. So I've lived in Ohio longer than any other place. So I lived there until I was 16. I moved to DC. My parents moved us there when I was 16, graduated high school there, went to college on a whim in Montana, <laughs> lived there for another eight to 10 years, -ish, depending on how you want to count it. Um, I started atelier training in, in the Carolinas and then Salt Lake City and then landed in Seattle and did four years of training there, then moved to New Hampshire to train with another atelier trained person and then landed in the New York City uh, area. So Where were the adventures of Mandy. Popped all over the, the states. Yeah. Well, it's interesting just culturally how different like different areas of the country are. Like when I first moved to New York City, I was like, why is everybody yelling at me all the time? Like, yeah, mm -hmm. just like just like Folks. the regular volume is the loud like city. Steps. You gotta be loud. It is. Well, it is. You have to be heard part. above everything else. Right. Yeah, yeah. But One then of our in podcast Seattle, friends has a term of un uncultured swine. So if you live anywhere <laughs> where it's just uncultured swine, nobody no has any appreciation for art. They're all. <laughs> you know, it's a Toy Story <laughs> reference. I think. Oh. <laughs> oh, is it classic? Okay. Yeah, you know. You know, no matter where I go, though, there's like a love of art, like Montanans. Like I so I, I taught in this rural school in Montana. I was their art teacher, K-12. And my first day teaching there, they were like, oh, by the way, you're the music teacher, too. <laughs> and there were a 100 kids in this school. And it was the school for like three towns around. And it was like the only school for like 60 miles or something. Like it was like crazy. Were you able to, did you play any instruments or have any musical background? Um, my mother's a music teacher. Oh, yes. My mother's a music teacher, so I wasn't completely out of the dark, but I certainly didn't feel qualified to be a music teacher. That's not what I went to school for or had prepared for, you know, going into my first teaching job. Um, 
but there was so much love of the arts there, you know, like so much appreciation because, you know, there weren't so many people making art. So if, if you made anything, it was maybe like, you got so much praise for it, right? Because no one else was making anything, you know, at, at that time. So there, there was like a love and an appreciation in a small town that you don't find in, in other places. And I think actually that encouragement really helped me in my career. And I have a great love for, for tiny towns like that. What are your thoughts on Bob Ross? What, what do you think is technique? Ah, I love Bob Ross. And this is an unpopular Atelier opinion. The Atelier people are going to get their pitchforks out, possibly. <laughs> but I love Bob Ross because he did something that no one else was willing to do, which is to say, you can learn how to paint and with access to knowledge. And here's some knowledge and you can paint and you can create something that you're proud of and that brings you joy. And I think that's glorious. And I think that's widely missing from like the modern art community where it's like, Oh, if you don't understand why this white canvas is so deep and meaningful, then you're just an idiot. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was like a ASMR superstar long before anybody even knew what that was. Right. <laughs> I mean, people love to watch his show just for the, mm -hmm. the calmness of, of it. Voice. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, painting is the ultimate, like, uh, well, it's both the most frustrating thing I've ever done and the most slow thing. Some fluffy clouds. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. But like once you learn some skills, you can have so much joy and flow and peace in the painting process, you know. But it's really frustrating when you're trying to create a happy little tree and you don't know how. But Bob Ross taught people how to do that, yeah. you know. And people had success, you know, learning from him. And you I have feel so much that admiration. Zen place that he reaches when he's talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and I love how he would just like last minute, there'd be like 30 seconds left in the episode. He's like, let's throw in another tree. And you could see his producer sometimes off, like slightly off stage, be like, ah. <laughs> Doing the cut sign. Yeah. yeah. He was just messing with the producer. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. But it's like one of my favorite things. But I'm actually also a, a huge fan of, um, oh my God, why can't I think of his name? Uh, the, the painter of light, Thomas Kincaid. Right. Mm -hmm. So also somebody that gets a lot of hate, right, especially from the modern art world. But he had skills. He was a multi-billion dollar painter. He was traded. He was the first artist traded on the stock market for billions, six billion dollars. Wow. So quit hating. It quit hating. And also, why why was he worth that much? Because what he painted resonated with people. Right. Like if you ask anybody off the street like name three movie stars. Like most people can name three movie stars or three bands that they like. But ask them to name three of the most famous living painters today. And most people don't know Damien Hirst or Jeff Koons or, you know, like, because it doesn't, they're not making art that matters to anybody. Like, but people know who Thomas Kincaid is because he made art that mattered to everyday people that resonated with everyday people. And I don't think you can be a greater artist than that, even if his, Paintings were a little saccharine for my personal taste. Like, you know, right. it's, what it's he's not made. going to hang in my house. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but I'm not, I'm not putting look. it down. Because mm -hmm. it was you quality. Know, I mean, it looked yeah. good. He, yeah, I mean, he had technical it. skills. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? When you looked at his little cabin on a snowy hill with the light coming out of it, like, it made you feel good. Like, why wouldn't you want that in your house? Yeah. Well, so you talk about these techniques that, that gifted teachers can impart to their students where they can get a, a firm grasp of a foundation of being able to do artwork. Mm -hmm. Is there any, I'll ask Terry first, is there any 
part of uh, your uh, hobby or your your vocation, Terry, that uh, has frustrated you, that you really feel like you've not been able to perfect and you're thinking, I want to, I want to be able to do this on a pallet um, or and just I've just exactly. not been able to do it to date. I, I don't think with those limitations, I'll, I'll do what I want to do. And if it starts, if it's not going the way that I want it to go or whatever, I kind of let it paint itself. And, and usually when I let go of the control of what I'm doing, it, then it happens and it works. <laughs> it's just, That's why it, I'm not good at art. <laughs> and it, but not every not every painting is like that. Some of them you have to have more control with. I mm. I have been enjoying playing since a lot with with work like the the whole series there the year that I spent doing the sanded canvas ones. Mm -hmm. That I I found great pleasure in that because it was more like playing, you know, and yeah. it was like doing the commissions and yeah. And, Oh, oh commissions commission. oh yeah <laughs> they're horrid and yeah. you have to paint what or they they expect you to come mm -hmm. up with what is in their head because yes. they they can't paint it so they want you to paint it but i can't right. see it in your head <laughs> <laughs> it's so true it's so true so terry i have to share a story with you so when i first graduated from atelier training I had painted some flowers these peonies you know it was like a small painting and for whatever reason just like a lot of people wanted to buy that painting but I only had the one painting so then they were like okay well will you paint another painting of peonies so I painted another one and then people saw that one and they wanted more peonies right and I spent two years of my life painting nothing but peonies. I call it my peony <laughs> purgatory period. <laughs> I still to this day cannot even stand the smell of peonies. <laughs> They're very strongly, strongly scented. But what you're saying is true. You know, like I once had a commission for like a six foot tall peony painting, like covered in peonies. Um, and, you know, I obviously that was an enormous outload of work. And the person's like, it's not how I imagined it. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, but that's what you commissioned and that's what it is and like i just painted what the same painting, painting for you like i don't know better <laughs> right oh my goodness um, yeah it's just i just you, want one six foot peony <laughs> yeah <laughs> just one yeah like oh my goodness yeah that was but you know the good news is that i did all the studies and then i copied those studies onto the six foot painting and then i could sell all the studies but you know, the more peonies I painted, the more they beget more peony commissions. <laughs> yeah. like I, you know, I, yeah. I made my living. Yeah, I made my living. I'm eating, <laughs> but is it worth it? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I did make my living uh, purely as a painter for those two years, which was one of my missions and one of my goals in life. But then I realized, A, that I really miss teaching and B, that the peony life wasn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> not after two years higher. nobody wants peonies for two years <laughs> i think I to make a living with my art i've always had to do everything you know i had mm -hmm. to teach and i had to do the shows and mm -hmm. you know to sell the work and stuff mm -hmm. and and then i had had to paint and then a lot of times you know pick up 
like you said, waitressing, mm -hmm. did a lot of that to mm -hmm. pay the bills and everything. But I didn't mm -hmm. have to pay peonies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Maybe you should try. Part of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did. Uh, you did the mat matting too, right? I mean, you'd have to cut framing oh. and matting yeah. and yeah. all the matting. Yeah, and the Terry framing. framed and matted that. And mm -hmm. uh, let's see, ran studios, ran two mm -hmm. different studios, and just so it takes like. For me, for my life, it took mm -hmm. um, every outlet in the whole, uh, you know, the whole community or umbrella of of art mm -hmm. to put food on the table. <laughs> yeah, to make sure it was coming in fairly steady, and it yeah. meant doing a lot of things that you don't like to do, like as mm -hmm. you know, you know, like your P and D. P what'd you call it? Peonies. <laughs> well, you know, I think the one thing I really learned from that is you have to be really mindful about how you craft your art career because, uh, you know, had I not accepted those commissions, I probably would have been painting something that made me happier to paint and may have missed opportunities to be painting, you know, something that was more aligned with my vision and, and what I wanted to. But mm -hmm. I was afraid, you know, of losing these commissions at the start of my career. I just graduated from the atelier, you know, trying to figure things out. Um, and but, you know, I think there's a business lesson in there, too, that, you know, whatever, whatever you uh, commissions you get or you're going to attract people that want similar things. So if you want to paint something different, you can't keep painting the same thing that you're doing. You know, you have to at some, at some point turn down those commissions and, and reach somewhere else. Yeah. yeah, but on yeah. the other hand, peonies pay the bills. <laughs> they do. Yeah. So they call them pot boilers in the atelier world. If you read um, diaries from other people that trained at the Ecole de Beaux Arts in Paris, uh, you know, like they talk about their pot boilers, like the things that sell that they paint. Um, mm -hmm. Sargent was famous for what he called and referred to in his journals as mugs, uh, like all those portraits of people. Those were his pot boilers. He hated it. He couldn't stand it. He figured out a system where he could paint one whole painting a day life-size just so that he could be done with it and get back to painting what he wanted to paint yeah but i had one art story uh when i was in high school i was in art class and, and my friend and i on on win uh, the art teacher was so impressed with our work she was like we're giving you this eight foot tall canvas and you're going <laughs> That's to paint a lot of canvas yeah you're going to paint a life-size image of, a, of an American Indian because our, our school mascot were the Indians, you know. Oh, that's a little problematic these days. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah, this was 85. Yeah. But we, we did it. And, and they're still uh, the Indians. It, it's oh. still the Indians. Yeah. Still Indians. yeah. Mm -hmm. I went well, to the high school. They did. did. Uh -huh. Well, long story short, uh, it never went up in the gymnasium where, where she, where she no. told us she <laughs> promised that it was going to go because it was not. Probably uh -huh. for the best. It was not as good. As not as good as she had anticipated, and she didn't mention it. It just never happened. So, yeah. Well, as an art teacher, teacher I can tell looks... you that we get promised all sorts of things by admin officials that never come to fruition. Yeah. <laughs> it was a piece of trash, though. <laughs> at yeah. It, well, it sounds good. like you just needed well, to hone your skills a little, sir. Yeah. Well, My, you know what? I think I yeah. I think I burned out. Didn't burn out, but I think I flamed out when I was about six because I was a pretty good little artist when I was a kid. I think Terry could attest to that. 
And then yeah, I was but like, why do we let that go? You know, just because we age, it's because we feel like we don't have it. But like, yeah. if we had a little bit of coaching and knowledge to help us continue to grow in our drawing, I don't think we would lose it that way. It makes me so sad. If there's so many people out there that have this story that I used to love to draw and I lost it, but you, you yeah. still have that in you. You should, you should mm -hmm. let that out. Well, I got, I, I got into writing yeah. more. I like to write, mm -hmm. but also Terry, uh, Terry wasn't around as much. So that was a big part of it for me. This bonding yeah. with yeah. her. But I do take Aww. all supplies with yeah, me. I think you, you got to work. You got fourteen years on him. You moved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's and Terry's fault. It's Terry's fault. That's right. It's That's Terry's fault. It's all Terry's yeah. fault. It's not. I uh, <laughs> I blame mine on a. Um, we didn't have an art teacher when I was mm -hmm. in the like I guess second grade, and um, I. Uh, I very carefully drew C-3PO yes. and the math teacher who was observing the, mm -hmm. as he called it, the art, um, <laughs> said, oh, nice camel. Oh. oh, okay. PSA to all the people, all the parents out there, all the adults that want to comment on the kid's drawing. There is only one appropriate thing to ever say to a child about their drawing. And that is, tell me about your drawing. Not, oh, uh, nice cow. Oh, nice cat. No, never. Yeah. Nick's next new. Do not do that. Okay. That's <laughs> good advice. Tell me about your drawing. Yeah, that's how you do artist's it. heart. Mm -hmm. Yes. No, my brother, my brother <laughs> is the visual art type person. I am a wordsmith. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that. That's where my yeah. art goes, words. <laughs> and, oh. and decorating. Yeah. Yes. But he's he's the artist in the family. See, I hate that phrase because it's not it's not reserved for one person in the family. No, <laughs> like, I mean, lots of people. He's, he's the, the one, one in the family who chose to be an artist. <laughs> there we go. He's the one who chose art. Well, in our family, we got Terry. Mm -hmm. We've got Michael. Michael's an artist. Yep. My brother Kenny is an artist. Mm -hmm. My mom was an artist. Yep. My aunt Amanda. Rosemary was an accomplished artist. Nice. And Amanda. Amanda. Yeah, Amanda. So it's all around. It's mm -hmm. all around us. So. And Red Troy meat. makes uh food art. Mm -hmm. he's, a, he's a chef. Yeah, he's mm -hmm. a chef by by trade. He makes, if you if you see his face, he makes some beautiful food. You yeah. mentioned Chris. Gorgeous. What's that, Aaron? You mentioned Chris in there. Chris? Yes, Chris. I don't think she's uh she currently she does more like anime style and um uh, that and then like cartoon type might have been art. might have been shorter to name I mean, the people he, in your family sorry. that don't do it. <laughs> right, right. Yes. Well, my brother's an aerospace engineer, but he still carves an epic pumpkin every year. Nice. Science and art are like yeah. I think science and art are this far apart. Yeah. That pumpkin carving is a skill. I just I was about to, was about to ask <laughs> Mandy if, if you're a good pumpkin carver. Yeah, I'm a terrible pumpkin carver. I know. Uh, I don't have the precision and like the physics. And there's a 3D element there. Like I can yeah. never be a sculptress. I'm a 2D person. Like that third dimension just really confuses me. My dad. Uh, oils. People would come from. People would come from our old neighborhood just to see his pumpkins. Um, that is, that's, you know, I'm going to tell my brother Thanks. that and tell him he needs to up his game. <laughs> it's a challenge. 
<laughs> we need to get people to come from more than a mile. <laughs> okay. All right. All right I, I think he's up for it. There's a double entendre <laughs> in there somewhere that I don't want to go to. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Philip's mom, she does uh, Waller colors. This, oh, that's fun. Uh, this is our <laughs> Irish setter. Oh, that's, oh, that's, yeah, that's yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that. I haven't seen she a lot that. of paintings. Yeah. She did that when she was in the uh Yeah, when she was still living with home. us. No, oh, when she yeah. was living with us. She was working on that when I visited one time. Yeah, yeah that's super fun. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean she Lacey, got like, I've, all I've those just, nice elements. That's, and, that's Lacey, and right? I couldn't think of the dog. Yeah, that's Lacey. Lacey. Yeah. yeah, if you want to grab Chala. We have one of a cat too that she did. And what it is is my mom she is this the a, famous footprint cat? Yeah, I took the paint from the basement. This is the footprint cat. Mm-hmm. They have a Our lot of cats. Girl. But... Mm-hmm. Oh, cool! I I wish that there were almost the footprints in the painting. There, there yeah, be. yeah. Mom didn't know the story. She didn't know the footprint uh, story. Yeah, and then she did. She does more like landscape stuff. Um, she did a lot of that when she was taking classes. When Terry at, comes um, to town. She can center. add footprints. Huh? <laughs> When Terry comes to town, she can add footprints. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be a mother-daughter uh, <laughs> fabulation. Collab collaboration. That's the word I couldn't quite find. It's not her artwork anymore. It's ours. It's a lot of syllables in collaboration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a blast. I feel like we could go on longer, but um, we promised... we don't want to take you past your uh, voice. Conference. Yeah. But is there any? Is there any? Uh, you know, we talked about. Um, the school of uh, Atelier Arts. You're so or close. They're <laughs> close. I'll let you say it again. Atelier. Uh, yeah. Atelier. So it's the Atelier. School of Atelier Arts. Um, if you're just a little bit curious to learn more, you can join our newsletter for free at our homepage, schoolofatelierarts.com. If you are curious about atelier training and not sure if it's right for you, you can take our free diagnostic quiz also on our homepage. And if you're like, yes, I want this. I want this yesterday. How do I get this training now? Uh, you can join the online class that I teach where I critique two times a week and have the video lessons available. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, that URL at, is? At Mandy Fine Arts. Uh, yeah. So my Instagram is at Mandy Fine Artist. Fine and, Artist. Uh, Yes. And we also have a School of Atelier Arts handle on Instagram as well. Excellent. I'm looked into that. It's I enjoy talking to you so much and you've caught my interest in that. Oh, thank you, Terry. I'm so glad that you were here and part of the conversation. I love art teachers so much. I'm always <laughs> happy. We have social. Twitter. Yeah. Uh-huh. Pod. Instagram. Yeah. Uh-huh. Pod. Facebook. Yeah. Uh-huh. Pod. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week. Yeah.